All right, good morning, everybody. Well, that's kind of hot, isn't it? Just a little bit. I uh, kind of wondered why uh, Byron asked me to, to speak this morning, and uh, it hit me um, that just about every Sunday morning I sit up in the balcony, and I just wait for Byron to mess something up. And as soon as he messes up, I'm going to confess this morning, I take my cell phone out and I text him during service about what he messed up on so that he could go back later and reflect on what he did. I'm just trying to help the man out, all right? Just uh, uh, trying to help him become a, a better uh, pastor and just think about some of the things that he says. And so uh, I thought, okay, why in the world, you know, I, I really fully expected there to be very few people here this morning. I knew uh, Brother Cody wasn't going to be here because obviously he's the go-to uh, backup when Byron's out. So when I saw him here this morning, it hit me all of a sudden. There's a reason why Byron asked me to do this, and it's got to be that he's sitting over there taking notes. Get you, you got he's, He actually has a clipboard down there with him this morning. Uh, to take notes. Um, some of my other uh, friends in the room said they only were here this morning so that they could uh, make memes. I don't know if you guys know what memes are, but they're waiting for me to uh, say something ignorant. Is obviously my favorite word uh, to use as ignorant as Byron pointed out a few weeks ago. Uh, from the pulpit. Uh, but I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, I do want to apologize uh, to anyone who's new this morning. If you're visiting our church, I want to say I'm sorry. Uh, please come back and give us a chance. Uh, I probably will still be singing next week, but uh, I won't be here uh, in the pulpit. So uh, if you think, man, I'm not coming back to that church again with that guy speaking, um, yeah, give us another shot uh, next week. Um, as a high school principal, as a father, um, and I'm sure you guys do the same thing, um, we have these things that we, that we say to our kids as they're growing up, you know, you know, the same thing over and over and over again um, that we hope that will stick in our kids' minds. Uh, sometimes as our kids get older, it's probably could potentially not be uh, under edification, uh, some of the things that we reiterate to them all the time. Uh, but at our house, we're, we're trying to work on that, and we're trying to make sure that we, we drive some uh, essentials into our kids' uh, heads while they're still young. Uh, one of the things my dad always told me was, uh, uh, say what you mean and mean what you say. If I heard my dad say that one time, I heard him say it a million times. And it was usually when I messed up what I, what I said, what I really meant, I didn't really say. And I, he understood, and I would always say to him, you knew what I was saying anyway. You knew what I meant. Uh, and that was always fine until the shoe was on the other foot, and he messed up, and I said to him, Say what you mean to me, what you say. And then I ducked behind something because I knew something was fixing to fly at me. Um, another one he always said was, don't go away mad. Just go away. Just go away. All right? So uh, those, those things uh, st stuck in my mind as a, as a child. My dad, would uh, he had a lot of these sayings. Um, I even remember back, and I don't know, uh, does Coach watch these live streams back? Coach, uh, Coach always had, uh, Coach Hill always had some of these sayings. And one of the ones, I'm not going to, uh, go into all of them, but he'll always tell me to grab my shoulder pads and pull real hard, uh, and I'll get with you on the rest of that uh, later. Uh, but just these things that stick in our minds, and we, we reiterate to our kids all of the time, um, and there's a few that we do at our household, and there's some that I do at school, and so there are some students here this morning. Uh, one of my uh, things I tell kids all the time is the, the Mr. Stover's seven rules to success in your job one day. If you can just do these seven things, and it sounds like a whole bunch, seven, but they're not real, real hard. It's yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Please, thank you, and just work hard. Okay? Not real hard, right? It seems like a long list, but just yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Please, thank you, and just work hard. 
And I can tell you uh, from someone who works with kids, if your kids can do those seven things, they're going to be at the elite level of the kids that we're raising today. So I uh, encourage you to teach those seven things to the kids. Uh, another one that we use at our house um, are the four Ps. Okay, the four Ps. Anybody, Hayes, you want to come down and give the four P speech? No, he's good. The four Ps are potential, productivity, problem, and praise. Okay, those are some, some bigger words, I guess, not as easy as the seven rules. But the, the, the rule goes like this. If your potential is here and your productivity is here, we don't have a problem and we don't have praise. That was the expectation. Pretty clear, right? All right. If your potential is here and your productivity is here, this area is praise. So if you exceed your potential, then we will praise you. But if you are even with your potential, that's just the expectation, right? And then if your potential is here and your productivity is here, this area is a, it's a problem, right? And so uh, those things will probably be ringing in our kids' heads, hopefully when they're 41 like I am, just like my dad telling me, don't go away, mad son, just go away. Uh -huh. um, the last one that we have at our house, and is really the most important one, and there are the top three rules um, to have a successful life. I'm not going to go into rule two and three publicly. Uh, I will uh, tell you privately if you want to know what they are. Uh, but the, uh, I really will. If you'll ask, I'll tell you. Uh, it's just we don't need to get into those uh, publicly this morning. Uh, but the very first rule, the most important rule to having a successful life, number one, is that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's it. That's the first one. And, they, and these, these three are in order, I would say, too. Um, but accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Number two, I'll go and tell you that one is, the second most important decision you will ever make in your life is who you choose to marry. If you can get number one right and number two right, and number three we'll leave out for now, if you can get those two things right, kids, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. Uh, the number one, and this is the one we reiterate all the time, and they can quote this one uh, like the back of their hand, is the number one most important decision you'll ever make in your life is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Today we look at um, the story of Peter and Peter's confession that Jesus uh, is the Messiah. And this morning as we walk through this, there's, there's kind of a, it's kind of a two-part. It's uh, what Jesus does and then what we must do in response to that. And I encourage you this morning, if uh, you've never decided in your life that Jesus is the Messiah, I could tell you the number one most important thing that you can do this morning is make that decision. And if you already have, we'll get to this later, but there's some steps that have to go in uh, after we uh, make that decision uh, that are extremely important as well. So we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 9. We're going to start uh, in verse 18 and go through 27. If you would, please open your Bibles with me. In verse 18, And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old have risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone this, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised up on the third day. Verse 23. 
And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what uh, is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing with here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we uh, ask that you just speak to us this morning uh, from your scripture. Uh, we pray that, uh, that you would uh, open our ears, take away the, uh, the busyness uh, and the, um, the distractions for the next few minutes, um, that you would just teach us uh, this morning and speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, give a little bit of context uh, here where we are. Jesus is well into his ministry. Um, as Byron uh, and Brother Cody have uh, spoke the last several weeks, um, he isn't just starting out. He's not just this guy uh, from Nazareth. Uh, he's taught. He's healed. Um, he's traveled here and there. Uh, some of the things that he has done up until this point is he's turned water into wine. He's driven out evil spirits. He's healed the sick. He's given sight to the blind man. Uh, he's calmed the storm. He's raised the dead. Uh, he's rebuked the demons uh, into the pigs that ran off the cliff. Um, and so you can imagine with uh, Jesus going around doing these things uh, that his name is starting to get out there and wherever he goes, people start saying, wait a minute, that Jesus guy's coming? I hear he does some pretty cool stuff. And so he's starting to, to uh, gather a crowd. Um, so we have to, we have to assume uh, that when he starts and stops in these towns that people are, are coming or they're waiting for him to get there. Uh, the other thing we need to think about is, uh, this morning, uh, for context as we read the story, is that the Jews of this time, they're waiting for a Messiah. Okay? So Jesus didn't just come on the scene all of a sudden one day, and he said, hey, here I am, and I'm the Messiah. And they go, oh, wait, the Messiah. Let me think about, are we waiting for one of those? Oh, yeah. No, they are, they are waiting for a Messiah. They are waiting for him to come. And so the, we have to consider what are they looking for when they're looking for the Messiah. Okay, it's easy for us to look here in 2023 and, and say the Messiah is Jesus and this is what he looked like and this is what he did. But the Jews were looking for something completely different. They were under Roman rule. They were looking for a military power to come in and uh, uh, take back uh, the Jews together uh, out from underneath the Romans so they wouldn't have to pay taxes uh, to them anymore, so they wouldn't be oppressed by the Romans anymore. So they were looking for this great and mighty uh, military and political leader who would come and basically save the Jews and bring the Jews all back together. So it's very important uh, when we read this um, that we understand that about the Jews and who they are expecting Jesus to be. Uh, verse 18 says... And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? Now, what's the one thing that kind of catches your mind there? Something kind of odd in that sentence? That's not rhetorical. He was alone, but he was with the disciples. Yes, kind of, wait a minute, hold on just a second. So, yes, the disciples were with him. They were all in a group. But if we were all at church here this morning, and I went back here to pray by myself, he's praying alone. So the Bible's not contradicting itself here. Um, but Jesus wants to know from the disciples, who do the people 
And the people that are gathered around him, the people that are kind of following him around, who do they say that I am? If you go back to last week when Cody was preaching back to verse uh, 7 in uh, Luke chapter 9, it says this, Now Herod the Tatriarch heard about all the things that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed. So Herod is the, uh, the ruler of this, of this area. He's Herod the great son, and he's ruling a part of uh, this area. And he's perplexed, and he says, Because it was said... Uh, by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that, he, that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said to himself, I myself, I had John the Baptist beheaded. But who is this man to hear I, of whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. So the grumblings are going on uh, as Jesus is going through uh, this region. And even the ruler of the region says, wait a minute, something's not right here. Who is this guy? They're saying that he's John the Baptist, but I know he's not John the Baptist. I had John the Baptist uh, beheaded. Um, so we see this reference earlier uh, in the chapter. Um, in verse 19, the disciples answer, and they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. So they're just answering Jesus what they've heard from the people around them as they're traveling through the region. And the interesting thing is this, is that they knew, the people that were following, they knew Jesus was somebody, okay? They knew he was different. Uh, they knew all the miracles that he was performing, all the teaching that he was doing. Uh, this guy's not just some, some guy. He's somebody special. But they just couldn't put their finger on it. The people that were traveling with him just couldn't quite understand and put their finger on what was going on here. But they knew that he was different. A couple weeks ago, uh, Katie and I went to uh, Dallas to the uh, Texas State FFA uh, Convention. Right, anybody else was there? Yep, one. Yep, this uh, Whittemore, they were there. Um, interesting uh, group of, of kids. When you walk into an auditorium and there's 16,400 high school kids all dressed just alike. They got, anybody in here, was anybody here in FFA uh, in school? You know what I'm talking about. They had their corduroy blue uh, jackets on, boys and girls, the wide undershirt with the tie. The girls had skirts and hose, the black shoes. The boys had black pants. So it's interesting to walk in and see that many kids, especially if you're from Huntington. Uh, we've got 500 kids at our high school. You walk in and there's 16,000 kids. Um, the reason we were there is uh, uh, Cole actually uh, and some of his friends had a band that competed there and were able to perform in front of the 16,000 uh, people. And then we had another student that was speaking uh, at the, the state level, of, uh, actually one-fifth in state. Uh, so that's why we were there. But um, at these conferences, and those of you who have been to these conferences before, they have a vendor hall. Okay, and it's a huge room, and it's set up with nothing but vendors. They're trying to sell you stuff. They're trying to get you to buy their programs, um, and so that's one of my favorite things about going to a conference is going to a vendor hall. So Katie and I were walking through. We were talking to colleges. We were talking to people who were selling products, um, and they're just set up one after the other. So uh, you go down one, you snake back, you go down the next, and it takes, I bet it took us three hours to see everybody, but about halfway through, 
uh, we start seeing this crowd of kids gathered uh, over at this one uh, booth, and we're thinking, man, they must be giving something away, or, uh, you know, they'll give away hats, or sometimes they'll let them spin the wheel for a pair of boots or whatever. And so as we walked up, I mean, this line was long, and there was obviously something cool going on in this booth, but us being, I'm, well, I'm 41, she's a little younger than I am, but us being in our late 30s, early 40s, they weren't geared, this booth was not geared for us, it was geared for the high school kids. Uh, and as we walk up, we're thinking, what is going on here? And we see these kids waiting in line, they go take a picture with this guy, they go take a picture with this guy, the next kid goes, takes a picture with this kid. And so we walk up to a kid, who obviously, we want to know what's going on, we're going to ask a student, I said, what's going on, who is this in this booth that all these kids are waiting in line and taking pictures with? And he says, listen, don't ask me, I'm not a social media fanboy, you'll have to find out from somebody else. So, as we, uh, as we make our way up, we realize, I think I actually uh, have a picture here. Anybody know who this guy is? Who is it? Dale Brisby. That's right. Anybody know who Dale Brisby is? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Don't be ashamed. Who, who knows it? Okay. We got a few in the house who know who he is. We had no clue who this guy is, and be quite honest with you, I know a little bit more about him now than I did before, but I thought, hey, if the high school kids think he's cool, maybe I'll get a little credit if I take a picture of Dale Brisby myself. So I waited till the line got down. Trust me, I didn't wait in line for this. Uh, but I got my picture taken with Dale Brisby. I'm not promoting Dale Brisby. I'm just saying as an illustration this morning that we had no clue who he was. We knew he had to be somebody famous. We know the kids must have loved him. But I can see uh, going back to the, the disciples and the people that were following Jesus at this time, they knew that there was something to this guy. They knew he was somebody, but they just couldn't quite put their finger on him. But he was special. He was special. And so Jesus says to the disciples next, forget about who the people say that I am. I want to know, and this is the important question for us this morning, he looks at the disciples and says in verse 20, but who do you say that I am? Who do the disciples say that I am? The disciples knew at this point that the people, that they were wrong. They knew that Jesus wasn't John the Baptist. They knew that Jesus wasn't a prophet that had been risen from the dead. They knew that Jesus wasn't Elijah. But they knew he was special, and they had spent a lot of time with him. And when Jesus says, don't worry about what they say, who they say I am, who is it that you say that I am? I think it's important this morning that we think about this, because Jesus is not wanting to know who they feel like Jesus' identity is with the people behind them. They want to know specifically, who do you say that I am? So one of the questions I have this morning is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? And I think it's extremely important that we don't put Jesus' identity in with who our family says that he is. That we don't put Jesus' identity with who our friends say that he is. Because guess what? At some point, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be fights between family. Friends are going to split ways. They're going to disagree. And if we put our identity of who we think Jesus is in the identity that our, our friends or our family have, then it's likely that when those relationships split, that we drop who we feel like Jesus is. So it's important that we know for ourselves, who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking us that today. Another way that we see who Jesus is, and I, I don't want to camp out on this for too long, 
Uh, I practiced this about four or five times, and I was, uh, I was 50 minutes every time. So I'm cutting some stuff out here because uh, I don't want to keep anybody longer, than, or I definitely don't want to keep you for 50 minutes. Trust me, I can't stand that myself. So I don't want to do that to you this morning. That's not a shot at Byron. You don't have to write that down. That's not at all. I think he's right on time. He's right on time. On social media, there are so many people who try to tell us who Jesus is. They try to teach us the Bible. They try to say, uh, this, is, this is the truth, and this is what you should follow, and this is why you should follow. And I'll say this, a lot of them make a lot of really good points. Really good points. And sometimes we can get hooked by those people, and we just automatically think, oh yeah, these guys have it going on. We've got to be careful that God's not asking us this morning, who do you say I am in relation to the guy that you follow on social media? He wants to know who you specifically say that he is. There's a guy, <coughs> excuse me, there's a guy uh, that I saw uh, one day on, on social media, and he was like, it, it, it made me so mad, the things that he was saying. And he was professing to be a Christian, but he was using every four-letter word uh, in the book while he was doing this. It, it, it just, man, it didn't set with me right. It, it aggravated the fire out of me. I, may, uh, I send a lot of stuff to Byron. I think he probably sees it and just gets rid of it. But um, this guy, I mean, he, he ran my blood red with the things that he was saying. A couple days later, anybody know what a stitch is? Kids? A stitch. So it's like we have one video, and then we have somebody who pauses that video and then comments on it. They're, they're stitching the video. That, okay, anyway. Um, so we have a guy comes in, and he's going to stitch this guy's video, and he tears this guy apart. I'm talking scripture he uses. Uh, this guy's obviously educated, very smart guy. He tears this dude apart, and I was just like, this is my man right here. This guy knows what's going on. He was using big uh, college-type words. Um, you know, I think he had a doctorate uh, in something or another, uh, maybe two. I mean, I was just like, I love this guy. Like, I want to give this guy a hug. Um, so I start following him because I'm like, this guy's going to actually teach me something on social media. Till about a week later, he says something else, and I'm thinking, I don't know that I really trust this, that that... No. And so I, I've watched a few more videos, a few more videos, and it's not long before I realized this guy's out there too. Just because he was right on, uh, on, on one doesn't mean that he's right about everything. And I sent it to Byron, and Byron's rolling his eyes. This is another one he sent to me. I'm like, uh, hey, you chose to be the shepherd of your sheep, and I just happen to be one of your sheep, so it is what it is. Um, make a second guess that decision, but... Um, you know, uh, another one would be, um, who's the, uh, uh, Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll. Uh, Mark Driscoll, you watch Mark Driscoll, he'll tell you a lot about who Jesus is too, but that 2% of where he's off, um, he's way off, and he can really lead you astray. So I just want to say this, we have to be careful when we identify who we think Jesus is through the lens of other people. It's extremely important that Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? not who those around you convince you that I am. 20, Peter says and answers uh, Jesus and says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. And so if we think back to Peter's actually realizing that Jesus is the Messiah, <clears throat> he's admitting that publicly. And if we think back to what we thought a minute ago about um, the Jews thinking that Jesus was going to be what? What kind of a leader? Military, political, 
Peter. He's going to gather the Jews back up. He's going to reign over the people uh, who are the Jews um, on the earth. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And it clicks with, with, with Peter. It had to in his mind to think, okay, this guy's about to turn some stuff upside down. He's about to overthrow the Roman government. He's about to be in control. And I'm kind of his right-hand man, right? Okay? But we have, to be, we have to be careful when we're reading the Bible 2,000 years later. We've got to be in context because Peter's thinking, not only is this guy the Messiah, he has some expectations of what Jesus is about to do because he is the Messiah. He passes the test and says that he's the Messiah, but does he really understand fully what that means? Kent Hughes, in his commentary, puts it like this. They thought that Jesus would be a superhuman being who would overthrow Israel's enemies, regather God's earthly people from the four corners of the world, and make Jerusalem the center of the world, establishing a perfect reign of God on earth. Sounds awesome if you're a Jew, right? And especially if you're one of those who are really close to Jesus. But they're way off. They're way off. But Peter right now is on a high. But Jesus is going to bring him down just a little bit. And he says this, just like uh, Cody said last week. uh, He warned them, in verse 21, he warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone this. And we keep seeing this. uh, uh, Katie and I were talking about this last week. Why does he keep telling them that? Why wouldn't he want him, uh, these people, to go and, and, uh, and, and tell people about him and tell everybody that he's the Messiah? But Jesus had a timing here that was extremely important, and it was not his time yet, and he was not ready. So he's telling them, and if you notice, he doesn't just tell them, hey, try not to let this slip at dinner. You know, tell your closest friends, no big deal. Uh, but, you know, let's just try to keep it under wraps. That's not at all what he says. Not only does he instruct them not to tell anyone, he warned them not to tell anyone. He's being very specific and saying, I do not want anyone told that I say that I'm the Messiah and that you know that I'm the Messiah. Because it's not his time yet. It's not time for that to happen. Verse 22, uh, he says this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Now remember, at this point, Peter thinks that Jesus is what? Political and a military leader, the Messiah in his mind. And then Jesus comes back with saying, no, 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 no. There's a few things that have to happen here. I have to suffer. I have to be rejected. And I have to be killed and then raised up on the third day. Could you imagine in the context that we've been talking this morning, what Peter's mind goes to? It's, it's, it blows his mind. Wait, 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 wait a minute. That, that, that can't be true. And we know this if, if we read this account in the book of Matthew, because in the book of Matthew, uh, he records that Peter is like so taken aback by this, he rebukes Jesus. Could you imagine that? Him rebuking Jesus. If you, one thing you don't do is you don't rebuke Jesus. But Peter is so taken back by this statement that Jesus is going to be killed, he's going to have to suffer, um, and he's going to be rejected, that it makes him so fiery mad, he actually rebukes Jesus because of what his expectation was. And at this point, Jesus switches his, um, his focus from himself and what he must do to be rejected, killed, um, and suffer, and he turns it to the disciples. And he says in verse 23, and this is a, 
This is one of those that we, we know this verse. We've heard this verse a lot of times, um, but we've really got to let this verse uh, set in because it, it carries a lot of weight. Okay, in verse 23 he says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me. Now, if you're a Christian today, you have decided to go after, to come after Jesus. Anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay, a lot of times when we read these verses that are uh, popular to us, we kind of just glaze over them. Oh yeah, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. But think about the implications that this has. Does this make following Jesus sound, I think Daryl used to say, happy clappy, warm and fuzzy? These aren't, these aren't words that are, that are warm and fuzzy. These things aren't something that people would just up and go, I want to follow Jesus because I get to deny myself, because I get to bear a cross. Not at all. These things are hard to do. And in fact, a lot of times, deciding to follow Jesus while it has its benefits eternally, a lot of times following Jesus, deciding to follow Jesus, makes your life harder. When we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, it means that we have to, we have to raise our kids differently. It means that we have to treat our coworkers at work dif- differently. It means that even though by earthly standards we're justified in how we react to situations, we have to do that differently too. And while everyone around us is going, you should have done, there's no way I would have stood back and let that happen to me, right? As a Christian, when, you, when, when, when you're justified in really just going off on somebody, and say, oh no, there's no way I would have let that happen to me. We have to let that go sometimes. We have to deny ourselves. We have to deny what we want. And he doesn't suggest that we should. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he what? Must is not a choice. Must is a, is a command. This verse draws a line in the sand for us. If you're going to follow after me, these are the things that you must do. Uh, David Platt uh, wrote a book. It's called uh, Counterculture. If you haven't read it, it's a great book to read. Um, I thought I was going to read this book, and I was going to feel good about myself and think, man, he's going to tell us what we're doing right and what the world's doing wrong. Um, But I'll tell you this, it's a great book, but don't read it if you don't want to be convicted because even the things that you think you stand for... um, that uh, you will continue to stand for them. They're still right. But David Platt does a great job of saying where we are still messing up in the areas, uh, even or how, how to be gracious uh, in being right. Um, it's a great book. But I don't have to give you a whole long list of things that, um, uh, that we are going to uh, encounter as, as uh, conflict in 2023 in our culture by being a Christian. I think you come up with that list on your own. David Platt has a long list. But it doesn't take long in our culture to find things that create conflict if we're Christians. And again, that's where he's coming from when he says, 
take up your cross and follow me. Now, we always say, you know, uh, this is my burden to bear. Or, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying my cross because my car broke down. Or I'm carrying my cross because uh, I broke a nail right before I went into this dinner. Or, uh, I, I would somewhat agree that uh, some of you who are Cowboys fans do bear, uh, do bear crosses. Right? Uh, that's a tough cross to bear that you're a Cowboys fan, but that's not what God or Jesus is referring to in this verse. What he's referring to is the closer we align ourselves with Jesus, the more conflict it's going to cause between us and our culture. And then those conflicts that are caused because we are close to Jesus are your crosses. We have more crosses the closely aligned we are with Jesus. That's where your crosses come from. Not trivial things here on earth. Verse 24. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Jesus just reiterating uh, what he's talked about so far with the denying uh, yourself, following him, uh, and taking up your cross is that if you really want to save your life, these are the things that you will do. You will lose your life here on earth for my sake. Verse 25, uh, continuing, uh, one of the greatest verses, uh, I think, in the Bible. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is very specific here today about uh, the things that we do, uh, the, uh, the things we put our stock in, uh, where we are financially, where we are with how people feel about us, um, people's opinions of us, um, promotions at work. And Jesus says, basically, what good does that do for you if you don't have me? In 2012... Uh, there was a football sensation that hit the scene, and I'm sorry for all the Aggie fans in here. I'm just going to talk bad about your boy Johnny for just a minute, okay? Johnny football. Anybody remember Johnny football? Everybody remember Johnny. Even if you didn't like college football, there was an electricity around this guy that just made him fun to watch. Uh, they put him uh, on ABC, e, uh, ESPN, uh, games that wouldn't have normally been televised because Johnny football was selling college football. He was the man. All right, he was the first freshman uh, to ever win the, uh, I see some of you taking pictures of the background, say, at my church, we talk about Johnny football. I'm not going to point you out here this morning, but it's an Aggie. Um, the first, yeah, there we go, I was waiting. Uh, the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy, all right, um, he uh, signed his NFL contract for four years, $8.2 million dollars. $4.3 million signing bonus, $7.8 million guarantee. His parents are wealthy. There's a quote of him saying, I was 19 years old. I had $100,000 under my uh, mattress in my dorm room. Life was awesome. Could you imagine being the man on the football field for the nation, having $100,000 stuffed underneath your, your mattress, uh, and you're 19 years old? He says, life was awesome. There's a new documentary coming out. Uh, it's called Untold on Netflix. I'm not promoting it either. I just saw the trailer the other day, and that's where I got some of this information. But one of the quotes, this guy in 2012, 2013 is, I'm talking the man. And in the trailer of that Netflix documentary, Johnny Football says this. 
when I had everything I ever wanted, and we just went through that list, when I had everything that I ever wanted, I think it was the most empty I'd ever felt inside. The most empty I'd ever felt inside. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into glory, and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, some of those standing here today who will not taste death until they see uh, the kingdom of God. As our band comes up this morning, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Jesus isn't asking us who our friends say that he is. He isn't asking us who our family says that he is. He's asking us, you and me today, who do you say that I am? There's a couple of answers. There's really only two. Number one, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's one. Number two is that Jesus is a liar. Because if he's not the Messiah, and he claimed to be the Messiah, then he's lying. And people in our culture want to say, well, Jesus is you know, good teacher, prophet, he's a good guy. You know? it, well, here's the, here's the thing. Either he is the Messiah, and he is who he says he is, or he's a liar. And I would say, if you believe that Jesus is a liar, if you believe that Jesus is not the Messiah, that's your choice to make. But I will say, just like we talk to our kids at, at our house, it is the number one most important question you will ever ask yourself. And if you don't think that he is, at least research it and look into it and be able to have proof as to why you believe that. And I think that in your search for that answer, you'll find that he is who he said he is. And the second thing is, if you do say that he is the Messiah, Jesus was very clear through this scripture that there's a few things that we have to do. Remember the word must? It's not a suggestion, it's a have to. He says that you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, and you must follow me. So those of us who are saved, who do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, let's do a little bit of checkup here, spiritual checkup, and consider when is the last time that we denied ourselves to follow Jesus? When is the last time that we aligned ourselves with Jesus so closely that it caused us to have a cross to bear? Are we following him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you for the opportunity this morning to come and to hear uh, from your word. God, we pray that uh, this morning, uh, as we uh, consider the questions that, that you ask us, that you would, in our search for that, uh, make yourself known, make yourself clear, uh, leave no doubt. For those who, who don't quite know if you are the Messiah, uh, I just pray that you would start to reveal yourself to those and to those of us who do call you Lord and who do know that you're the Messiah. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would start to reveal the things in our life where we're not denying ourselves um, where we're not associating ourselves closely enough with you to bear crosses and where we're not following you, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to us um, in the coming week about what we've heard this morning and that you would just reveal yourself to us, Lord. 
your name we pray. Amen.